Welcome to Counterpunch Radio. My name is Eric Dreitzer. Thanks so much for tuning in, coming back to the show. First time listeners finding the show, welcome aboard. Always happy to have you. Always glad to have your support. As I've been pumping up for the last several weeks here, we now have our subscriber section coming online. You guys it's exciting. The print magazine may be going away, but we have a subscriber section now. All the content that would have been in the print magazine is now going to be up there, including a whole bunch more content, more writers, more podcasts, more content to come. That is going to be available to everybody for the rest of the year, I believe. So please do go to the website. Do check out the new subscriber section. It should be up any day now. Uh, once that's up there, you're going to realize just how great it is to support Counterpunch and to support independent media on the left. It's so critical. We're going to be talking a lot about that this evening with my guests. Uh, but before we do, let me just introduce them and let's talk about some other filth and disgusting things happening in this world. Uh, I have Alex Koch and Walker Bragman with me. Alex and Walker are both journalists. Let's take them one at a time, shall we? Alex is an investigative reporter. He is with Sludge. He is with a whole bunch of places. He's been on this show before. I guess we could call him a friend of the show now. We'll see how he goes today. Uh, he is a co-host of the Gilded Age podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Alex Koch. Walker is also a journalist. He is also the co-host of the Gilded Age podcast. He is also on Twitter. You should follow him there at Walker Bragman. These two gentlemen are the founders of the brand new app, Opt Out, which we will be talking about this evening. Without further ado, Alex Walker, welcome. Thanks Great for having us. Well, a lot to talk about. So let's start with the nasties first. Uh, recently, in the last several hours, the news has been dominated by uh, Agent Orange and his threats of delaying and or canceling the election. Who knows what that means? Who knows if this means anything? I just want to get your initial takes on this. What are we looking at here? Trial balloon? Real statement? Real sentiment? Prepping his base? Some combination of all of those? Uh, Alex Walker, you got the floor. Yeah, I mean, uh, so first of all, I, I think there's a tendency that people have, even now, four years into this fucking presidency, um, to to say, oh, he's just joking, or you know, Trump can't possibly do that. Like it's Congress that can change the date of the election. Well, yeah, Congress is the only body that or you know entity that can actually change the date of the general election. Um, however, we've seen under, under the Trump presidency. Um, pretty clearly that, you know, institutional norms don't really matter anymore. And Trump has been able to do all kinds of things, including sicking a, a fascist uh, sort of, you know, doom squad on Portland and some other cities without congressional approval. So um, I guess I would say kind of like larger scale, um, we should probably take this, this seriously and, and not just kind of assume that, oh, because Congress can't do this, Congress has to enact it and it won't happen. Uh, however, it does sound like the Republican senators who were interviewed, you know, in some of the media are saying, yo, like, this is not going to happen. I mean, we can't, we can't, this has never happened in the entire history of the United States. Like, even through wars, uh, it's never happened. Yeah, I don't really have much to add to that. I think, uh, I think, I think he pretty much nailed it. Like, we, of course, we should take it seriously. But he's, um, I mean, I think this is also just, okay, one thing to add. He, he's, this is a sign, I think, that the president is in, is in trouble. Um, but of course, who knows what the hell is going to happen in November? <laughs> I guess the question I would ask, uh, to either one of you, maybe Walker first is, uh, 
when Trump makes a statement like this, is this is is the uh, let's let's call it the textual um, statement, the real statement, or is it all subtext? I mean, that's really the question here. Is this purely dog whistle politics and, and, and rattling the base having nothing to do with whether or not he believes in the validity of the election? It's, I mean, when I saw the statement, when I saw the tweet, uh, it was like, okay, so many people had this on their 2020 bingo card. Like this is, you know, this is something that people have been saying he's going to do for a long time. It's just, it's so, it was predictable, but also like, it felt a little like trolling. And, and I mean, I feel like Trump, if he, if he loses the election, um, which seems likely, but I mean, you know, his opponent is Joe Biden. So you never know what's going to happen. But uh, I feel like Trump wants to keep some level of public support uh for whatever project he might or whatever grift he may end up in next um so i feel like that's sort of what it is i i don't know it it does i mean look it does depend on the republican party like how serious this this statement is because a president without support from his own party is is pretty vulnerable especially a, a president without any support in in congress or the senate um but you know he does. There are these militia groups. He's got he's got a lot of loyalty from a lot of people out there who are, you know, sort of sort of wacky people. And you know it's it's dangerous. I mean, if anything, this is this is uh, this is another statement that he's made that that will uh, result in violence. Alex, do you think there's something performative about all of this, performative about the, the, the way in which the federal, quote unquote, federal agents are being used, performative about the tweets, performative about all of this? And if there is something performative about it, who is he performing for and what's the point? Well, yeah, I mean, everything, does, everything that Donald Trump does is performative. He is a performer, right? He is a reality TV star. But, but long before he, you know, he, was, uh, he was doing his... Um, reality show. I mean, he, he was always performing for the media since he was a young person. Um, so, I mean, it, it's a weird psychology this guy has. I mean, he sees everything through the television and how he is portrayed on the television. It, it, he is singularly focused on that, and it's so bizarre. Um, but yeah, I, I do think, uh, I mean, tragically, that this whole stormtrooper phenomenon that he is, uh, with the help of the, the very eager uh, bootlicking help of William Barr, the Attorney General, is doing to American cities that are led by you know, liberal uh, mayors, uh, is absolutely performative. I mean, I, I was just listening to some podcasts today. Uh, I wish I could remember which one, um, but uh, you know, I, I think that they were correct. They're, they were analyzing and saying that um, honestly, that this could just be basically a way of creating viral videos that Trump can use in his campaign ads. Um, I mean, but the whole, the real point of this, of course, is to create uh, this myth that people who are protesting for racial justice are somehow these domestic terrorists um, who are uh, threatening the white suburban moms. And so therefore we have to, you know, sort of re, uh, relive this, this whole kind of white flight narrative that happened decades ago. And, and thus he, he's just hoping that the, the white suburban moms who have turned against him uh, are gonna come back to him uh, and maybe push him over the edge in, in November. What do you guys make of this idea that uh, the 
lack of a national strategy with regard to coronavirus was a partisan move run by Kushner and the people around him because they made the decision that the most impacted areas were democratic states and democratic cities. This is being talked about quite a lot. I'm I'm not sure what I think about it, but I'm just curious what you guys make of that and uh, if there's anything to that and what that may say about, uh, you know, the rest of the election. So I, I have not heard that. Um, but in fairness, I have been, I've been uh, fairly busy this week with, uh, with stories. But I, the, the, the Trump administration's response to the coronavirus has just been absolutely baffling to me because it's like they're doing everything wrong <laughs> at the worst times. Um, and I can only, the only justification I can imagine is that they looked at it and were like, well, this is a national crisis and it will inevitably reflect poorly on, on the president. And so we have to sort of go to what we've done in the past, which is just lie and hope that that works. And of course, with the pandemic, that doesn't really work because like, when your mother or your father or, or like aunt or somebody dies from COVID that, that makes that humanizes it for you. That makes it real. Um, And so I think that that's one thing that the Trump administration has not been able to, that's, that's part of the reason that it's uh, that this has been such a, a catastrophe for him politically is that you can't just bullshit your way out of a pandemic. (laughs) Um, so I don't know to to what degree that you know individual people are involved. I just think that overall it's it's been it's been a disaster. The entire administration is to blame. Beyond the administration, uh, I think there are systemic issues at play that that I think need to be talked about more. The f- the fact that America's that America lacked uh, domestic supply chains for necessary. Um, medical equipment and and protective gear. I think that's something that we should be talking about more. The fact that people have to crowdfund for medical care and that COVID care, despite you know efforts to make it free, isn't free for everyone today. I think that is a problem. I think we need a national healthcare system. Uh, and so I, I do think that that while the Trump administration has made error after error after error and preventable mistake after preventable mistake and, and really bungled the whole thing. Um, any administration would be just swamped by this. Our healthcare system was not built for this. Our government, we've defunded the bureaucracy. We've, uh, we, the mantra of the last 40 years or since Reagan has, has been, you know, big government is bad and, and redundancy is bad and an efficient economy is one that doesn't have any redundancy. And now we're seeing that all of that, all of it was, a, was, was nonsense and not and and I, just yeah. poorly equipped to handle something like this. And I, I'd add a couple of things. One, um, I think it's it's absolutely true what Walker said that our country is just an utter failure, like basically a complete sad tragic failure. The last forty some years of of this free market capitalist kind of utopia bullshit uh, has is just completely disintegrated now, and we see like we have we can't possibly fight this thing. But I, but also it's important to say that Trump has made it uniquely bad, like his his absolute denial and the whole the whole really the whole Republican parties denial of of just basic science the the inability to see past 
the present um, to plan for anything. It, it's unbelievable, really. And politicizing How, of it. <laughs> and politicizing fucking science and, and people dying of, of a disease that every other country has been able to, except for maybe Brazil, because they also have a fascist president, <laughs> um, has been able to basically can handle in a decent way. And, and we're up, we're over, we're at 154,000 deaths now. Uh, right, in terms of Jared Kush, yeah, right. Herman Cain died, and also the co-founder of Turning Point USA, who's eighty, who was eighty years old, by the way. I mean, he he co-founded TP USA with um, Charlie Kirk, who's like twenty-two or something. Do you think but, it's because they're just so ideological? Like, do you think it, it was ideal ideology or or just politics or like like why would people like that take a take a risk? Like Herman Cain was seventy-four years old. I, he he tweeted from the Trump Tulsa Oklahoma rally uh, with his crew, and they were all not wearing masks. And, and on, less than two weeks later, he's dead. So there's a decent chance he got it at that freaking rally. Um, but but what I was going to say is, you know, and I haven't heard the Kushner rumors either. But I, I I think it's pretty clear that Jared Kushner is maybe maybe the dumbest person ever to have a senior advisory role in the White House. I mean, he is supremely stupid. Um, and, and it also speaks to Trump's just, you know, oatmeal brain that he continues to put Jared Kushner in, in, in charge of basically every initiative that he has. Um, so, yes, Kushner definitely contributed to this. I mean, he, he's totally screwed up. Um, the, the, wasn't it the, the, the national stockpile? Like he, he just completely fucked that up and he didn't give out uh, these important uh, PPE and, and other and ventilators and everything that they were storing for this exact kind of crisis. And he said that the they weren't for the states. It's like, if, we are a country of states. If it's not for the states, who is it for? I mean, it's crazy. But can we just acknowledge, like, like how bad does, how how bought off, how corrupt, how, how groupthink, you know, worm-brained do you have to be in, in this crisis? to not get behind something so simple as monthly adjusted, uh, automatically adjusted relief checks. How, how, like, like why? I do not understand. I really do not understand the, the, and that's not just the Republicans either. That's the Democrats too. Like people need relief. They need rent. They need a rent freeze. They need, uh, we should be delivering masks and supplies to people. How hard is that? Because this is class war. It's open class warfare. These people, listen, the people who are supporting Trump, who are really, uh, you know, carrying him are not the people who need the $600 checks. They're business owners. They're, they're, they're petit bourgeois. They are well off. They're doing fine for themselves. They don't want to see uh, greedy, poor people picking free money as opposed to working jobs, doing their hair and servicing their cars. So, so here's the thing. I, I want to push back on that just, just a little bit, because if you are not a millionaire in this country, then this will benefit you. You need this. And, and we, we, we tend to, and, and, and maybe this is, maybe this is just um, where I, having, having grown up in a, in a place that becomes, that, that is a vacation, it's a resort town. It becomes a very wealthy in the summers. I grew up in uh, East Hampton which, you know, the Hamptons and, you know, wealth as, as it's often talked about in media is not wealth, real wealth, the, the wealth that, you know, the wealth that controls the country, that is so much bigger than people realize, you know, we have class divisions. Um, we have people who, who are, who are focused on class divisions under 
you know, assets worth a million dollars. And that is so pointless uh, because those people are not, I mean, they may vote and contribute to the problem by electing the wrong people, sure. But in terms of who is really exploiting this country, it is a very, very small, very elite, very wealthy group of people in the multi-millions. Well, of course it is. Of course it is, Walker. But I mean, who do you think is refinancing their homes right now? Who do you think is pulling tens of thousands of dollars of equity out of their uh, single family homes and refinancing and putting it into their college accounts and whatever? Who do you think is doing that? It's not the billionaires. They don't give a fuck about any of those things. It's regular It's regular people who make 100000 112000 120000 in their household or whatever. Those are the people that are actually supporting Trump to a large extent. That's where his re- Real base of support is. That's where it's always been. And those people do not necessarily need the $600. They would like it. They would like 600 bucks, but they're not going to throw away their deeply held ideological reactionary politics over a $600 check. That's what this is coming down to. And McConnell knows that. But if you see the water rising around you, I mean, if, and, and, and a lot of these, you know, you might not be, you might not be suffering. You might not be there yet. You might be in what's left of the middle class or in the upper middle class, which is, I think, what's left of the middle class today. Um, you might not be suffering, but if you see the water rising around you, you do get more protective of your, of your stuff, of, of what you have. Or, you know, and, that's, and I think that's what we're seeing a lot of today. I agree. Uh, I, think Alex, I think, Alex, the comment you made a, minute, a few minutes ago, though, is right. This complete myopia inability to see even beyond their own noses and i think that you know walker i think you have a good point but to kind of respond to that i i do think there is an a sort of a complete lack of foresight complete lack of ability to see even a couple of years ahead let alone oh yeah you know a couple of decades and um i think that is uh about as american as apple pie <laughs> Well, yeah. i don't i and don't you know I, like it it really is to me i mean what i what i think i've kind of fully come around to in the last couple of years and definitely during the COVID crisis and everything is that like, it really is all about capitalism. It is capitalism is what defines America and capitalism uh, is what makes these people think about short-term gains and not like long-term prosperity, uh, much less of course, just like shared prosperity. Right. Um, so, so, I mean, it, it's just kind of, everything is laid bare now. Uh, and and if you actually care to analyze honestly what's going on, you'll realize that capitalism is the problem. And if not, then you're just going to stay in your little bubble. Um, and and I think I would say, Eric, I think you're right about that. I mean, you know, the billionaires are the ones who are, of course, dictating uh, most, uh, who are the most powerful in terms of uh, helping elect people and also uh, dictating you know the the two main parties' policies. But I mean, I think, you know, those aren't in number, those are not the, the, the people who are supporting Trump. I mean, it's, it is a lot of these, like, let's say someone has a, you know, a tanning, couple tanning salons, right? Like a little chain of tanning salons. Like, yeah, in, in Florida, like they probably make a hundred or 200,000 a year and they love Trump. Um, so I, I think that is like a demographic that, that is often left out of the picture. And I, I believe that in 2016, actually, um, Clinton, I mean, her, her sort of, I guess the median income of, of her average um, uh, voter was, was certainly less than Trump's, even though Clinton obviously has a lot of elite um, supporters. I wrote about this a couple of weeks after Trump was elected. And at the time, there was this very popular narrative that white working class right. is speaking, right. you know, they've, they've carried this man to the White House. And I was like, 
wait a second. I was like, let's look at the data here. And it was, I don't remember offhand, but it was something like 94 out of 106 or something of the top earning zip codes in America were Trump went for Trump. You know what I mean? It was, it was, uh, and you could do it, you could do it by income levels, you could do it by median credit scores, you could do it by any number of economic factors. And it was wealth and prosperity, meaning in the, you know, sort of, I think as Walker correctly said, the shrunken middle class, but still the middle class, that is where Trump's base of support is. That's what's carried him. And that's what continues to carry him. Who do you think shows up to the Blue Lives Matter protests? Who do you think is refinancing their homes in droves? Who do you think is doing all of that it's not the billionaires it's a lot of people who fear getting displaced or fear their cultural status their well, their economic status it's is class war tied to as their, eric said their cultural class status war. right yeah. but but yeah i think i think in ultimately what i'm getting at is that in america like everybody is struggling today if you're not super rich everybody's struggling and the problem is that that you have people who are distracted by things like racism and um and they get suckered in and don't uh, willingly and don't and don't uh recognize their solidarity with other people and i think that's a huge problem but yeah as you said eric it is fucking class war it's open class war and uh it's being waged against everybody Absolutely. And the war of all against all is not just a class war. It's also a culture war. And Trump is waging culture war. This we all understand. And I think the issue of the monuments is one of the prime examples of how Trump is instrumentalized and weaponized culture war in a way that even the Republicans before him never, never, never did. And um, so with that in mind, Alex, I just wanted to touch on a recent piece of yours. Uh, You had written about the some of the dark money connects act dark money is probably not the right term, but some of the, some of the nefarious funders uh, behind some of this movement and the connection between the American legislative exchange council, Alec and the Trump monument uh, AstroTurf movement, I guess we could call it. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those connections and just remind some of our listeners what Alec is and why it's important? Sure. Um, well, yeah. So um, I wrote this with Don Weiner, uh, another reporter for the um, Center for Media and Democracy, exposed by CMD.org. And um, yeah, we, you know, we, I mean, Don took the lead on this one, but we, we wrote about how ALEC, which is the American Legislative Exchange Council, it is a uh, basically a corporate bill mill for state legislators uh, who are you know, very corporate friendly. So what, what ALEC does is it has these uh, regular meetings. Um, the last one is actually virtual, of course, because of COVID. Um, but in general, there, there, there are these meetings between basically corporate lobbyists and conservative members of state legislatures. And they, they work together to write these model bills that then the legislators take back to their states and they propose and they often get passed. And I mean, Alec, it, it, like I said, is a corporate bill mill. So the, the, the main objective really is to deregulate, uh, deregulate the states um, and to help just do anything they can to increase corporate profits. So my organization, CMD, I mean, ALEC is one of the main entities that we cover, uh, include, uh, in addition to the Koch network, and ALEC is part of the Koch network, because Charles Koch, uh, through, and through his family foundations, you know, gives money to ALEC and all, all these other groups. Um, the, the, you know, so, so in terms of the, the monuments, um, Alec didn't itself uh, sign on to Trump's executive order on monuments, which essentially was the um, 
excuse, I guess, I don't even know if that's the right word, but um, was kind of the, the foundation for these federal stormtroopers who are now going into cities and, and gassing moms and, uh, and whoever they can find and, and going in unmarked vehicles and, and abducting people. Um, this is what the CEO of, sorry, the executive director of ALEC named Lisa Nelson, um, she signed a letter in, in strong support of Trump's executive order on the monuments. Um, so, I mean, it, it really kind of brings up a lot of different issues. Like, you know, one, the idea that Trump did an executive order essentially that is um, castigating people who are opposed to monuments to white supremacy, monuments to the Confederacy. Um, it's a pretty obviously racist order. Uh, so Alec, hap or excuse me, Lisa Nelson happily signed on to that. Um, and while Alec didn't, I mean, she is the top person. She is the figurehead of Alec. I mean, it's pretty obvious. I don't think she would have done it if, if it wasn't kind of, you know, uh, something that Alec was uncomfortable with. Um, and then, of course, there's the so sort of second dimension, which is what the order is used for, which is these, these stormtroopers. Um, I haven't, I'm not aware of anything that Alec has said up since uh, this this order was kind of proven to be the excuse for these stormtroopers, um, but uh, I, I'd be pretty surprised if they're not uh, happy about what's going on in Portland. And now it sounds like it's going to happen in Chicago, and Milwaukee, and uh, several other upper Midwestern cap uh, state capitals. I'd like to I'd like to just ask the question, and I know we got to go to a break here in a second, but let me just ask the question to you, Alex. I'll certainly uh, open to Walker as well, like. What is a corporate bill mill whose niche in this world is really in the shadows of the legislative, uh, you know, the bowels of the legislative uh, metropolis? What are they doing getting involved in what amounts to the, a, a culture war issue here? I mean, help us to understand the connection because I've kind of thought of Alec as sort of this mechanism by which, you know, corporate polluters and various types get to write legislation. I didn't think of Alec as sort of the voice of Christian conservatism. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and this is, that's a great question, Eric, because um, Alec has tried to stay out of these culture war things because um, they are known notoriously for um, working with the NRA to produce uh, a model bill uh, that's known as the Stand Your Ground Law. Uh, they they worked on this in, in the around 2005 or six, and then in, in 2012 when George Zimmerman murdered uh, the unarmed black teenager Trayvon Martin, um, and uh, he was exonerated of murder of manslaughter of anything because of Florida's Sandy Grand Law, which was based on the model bill of Alec. Um, a lot of corporations that were you know accredited members of Alec pulled out. Uh, they couldn't associate their brand with with the the group that produced legislation that let Zimmerman off off right, um, and so they thought, okay, yeah, let's just stick to you know promoting fracking and all these other awful things, uh, but we're going to stay out of like you know like uh, you know kind of you know racist policing issues and and um, culture war stuff. But um, I, I think under Trump, they've they must, and this is just my personal analysis. But I mean. Um, I don't, I don't, I haven't seen, I mean, there's no, nothing stating like why the, why the shift, right? I mean, they disbanded the sort of their internal task force that what, that had created the standard ground law and some other similar legislation. So, I mean, I think it's really just under Trump uh, to me, they feel more emboldened to kind of go back to that. Cause I mean, look, um, the entire Republican party now is defined by racism. I mean, if you look at their policies, um, they are. You mean now? <laughs> Well, uh, well, uh, the Republican Party has been defined by race. This is this is something that I think gets lost. 
well, in, in the Trump era. That that like everybody's like, oh my god, it's so bad today. It was fucking bad under Nixon. It was bad yes, under Reagan. But right, right, and, right. Of course, you know, of like, course. Reagan launched his campaign in Neshoba County where three civil rights workers were killed yeah, and that was on state's purpose. rights I mean, speech. Like, for of sure. course. Like, but I'm yeah. saying like there is a, and unfortunately a lot of people fall for it, like the sort of Bush era Republican Party basically just kind of pretended that I wasn't racist, even though he had a lot of people on his staff who had been part of, you know, the, these uh, previous administrations and, and their campaigns that were, uh, you know, like explicitly racist. But yeah, I mean, like, the Democratic Party for a long time was racist too, and and like you know, it's to some degree still is. So it's 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 just to say that you know, um, I think under Trump, it, it's like let's say the quiet part loud. That that is what I'm saying. And so well, that, Alec is it's empowered. It's going back to the pre Lee Atwater Republican Party. Yeah, or like yeah, or like the yeah, like right before him or something. So um, they're saying the quiet part loud now, and I think that's kind of what it is. Right, and we. we I mean, this is, and this is sort of, this gets back to what we were saying, we were saying earlier about like, you know, why Trump, or what we were talking about earlier when, about Trump's demographics, like why it sort of skews to this, you know, upper echelon of, of, you know, white people. Um, Not that I should, you know, I shouldn't have said earlier that Trump has no black support. He does have black supporters, but generally speaking. Oh, it's like 5% maybe. Generally speaking, the Republican Party That's not statistically significant. Right. He, they have very. The Republican Party has statistically had has very low uh, support from from people who are not white, and um, and that that does skew their their demographics. But overall, um, you know, it's it is it is sort of a a, a culture a culture war. You 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 appeal to the to the dis, to the to the white people who feel like they're getting disenfranchised or or being displaced, or all of a sudden now we're talking about black lives and what i feel threatened by that and 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 so you you can sort of distract people from the the larger economic you know you you've got your hand in their pocket but they they don't notice that so much because they're busy looking over it at a you know a black family and and how wait they're getting they're getting assistance from the federal government how dare you or uh, or you know not realizing um I, I i don't know i think that this is this is it's the classic it's it's a it's a distraction you know people don't realize that we're all in the same boat um and that it is a class thing that there is there is a class war going on so it's a, it's a distraction I, as far as the alec question is concerned um you know i think alex you hit it you hit it pretty perfectly well let us reload our guns for the class war on the other side of the break. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about how we're going to wage our class war in left media and what are the uh, what are the weapons that we will be selecting, what will be our ammunition and what will wind up this horrendous metaphor at some point. Uh, let's take a break. On the other side of the break we'll continue with Walker Bragman and Alex Koch listening to Counterpunch Radio right now.
And we're back chatting with Walker Bragman and Alex Koch. Um, again, I highly recommend you follow both of these gentlemen on Twitter. They are scholars, gentlemen, and all sorts of things. Uh, at Alex Koch and at Walker Bragman. Uh, original Twitter handles to be sure. Uh, please do also follow the website Sludge. Uh, follow the podcast Gilded Age Pod. And get ready to get your brand new app. It's called Opt Out, and I'm going to ask these guys about it. Walker, Alex, what's Opt Out? Well, um, take it away, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, this is an app that's in development, um, and essentially, it is going to be a way for people to completely bypass corporate media narratives um, and also bypass the hysteria of Twitter and Facebook and other social media platforms and get their news from 100% independent media uh, producers. So we are going to have uh, an app uh, populated by uh, really excellent investigative reporting from nonprofit uh, outlets. We're gonna have uh, podcasts that are funded by uh, listeners on Patreon, for example. Uh, we're gonna have newsletters from Substack. We're gonna have um, we have already have 41 plus partners, including you know, more established outlets like Jacobin, Sludge, Popula, Counterpunch, of course, and and podcasts like your this very podcast, Counterpunch Radio, uh, Struggle Session, um, Reply Guys, a lot of great uh, independent uh, producers of content who are essentially, uh, I, and what Walker and I think is is that you know independent media is really the best way to actually get the truth. Um, we are seeing that uh, the, the corporate media, the mainstream media platforms, whether they are uh, CNN or MSNBC or the New York Times or Washington Post, have trouble actually literally describing what is happening. Um, the New York Times cannot call Donald Trump a racist after five or six years of this stuff. I mean, when are we just going to stop reading that stuff and actually you know, go to reporting and opinion and podcasts and YouTube uh, videos that actually are, are willing to really just actually say how how things are. So Walker, help me help me to understand because I want to I'm going to want to get into the genesis of this, where this came from, the idea and so forth. But before we do that, just how does it work? Get let us let us in a little bit on the uh, the, the mechanics of this app. So we are still developing it, so that it, it's subject to change. But generally speaking we want to curate uh, sort of a day at a glance for you. Like, like you have with uh, Apple news or whatever, you know, you know how everybody says like, Oh, well I, I, when I want to know what's going on, I just, I look at the New York times or I go to blah, blah, blah. I look at like CNN, MSNBC. Um, a, a big part of that is that those are outlets that have the resources to cover a wide range of stories. And deliver them to their readers so you can you can see what's happening in, in the world uh in in yemen in iraq uh well maybe not yemen they don't cover yemen very much but uh you know you can see what's happening abroad you can see what's happening domestically and even and even locally you can sometimes get you can get local stories independent outlets don't have those resources they may do better reporting and and, and in many cases i think they do um they do harder hitting reporting, but because they don't have the resources to cover that range of, of material, 
people they're still not everybody's go-to stop for their daily news so what what we decided to do is bring or try to do is bring a bunch of outlets together under one roof so we really can cover a range of stories and give people the the same sort of customized news experience that they would get from uh, corporate media, but maybe the stories are better reported. Maybe they're more accurate. Maybe they're harder hitting. Maybe they, maybe they're stories that you wouldn't normally see. So that's, uh, I hope I answered your question. And uh, you, you, you did, but I just, uh, not trying to, you know, corner anybody here, but I just want to help people to understand what this actually will do for them. How is it different from say a feed aggregator? Um, yeah. So first of all, a, a lot of the, well, first there's corporate media apps that we are, we are hoping to, uh, transplant for some people. Um, uh, and that is because these, these apps depend on, um, viral stories, right? I mean, whether it's a Apple news or it's, it's Facebook or Twitter, they're going to put the, the top hits up at the top of your feed. And it's kind of the self-perpetuating cycle where, they, there's a couple stories that are going big and then they just put them to the top and they continue to get more likes and more comments and et cetera because they're at the top and people don't have a long attention span. So what we're going to do is hand curate uh, the stories from major outlets, from very small fledging outlets, you know, from big podcasts to very emerging podcasts, right? We're going to put all that in a feed for you. Um, it's not just Walker and me. I mean, we really hope to, to have a big staff and have editors who have expertise in all kind of categories, uh, geographic regions, et cetera. Um, so, so instead of this sort of algorithmic approach that essentially every media app that I've seen uh, has, uh, and certainly the social media platforms have, uh, we're going to actually you know, think about um, having a fair and balanced um, uh, a selection of independent media for consumers. Is there right-wing media on here? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Moving I mean, on. that's Moving unacceptable. On. I'm sorry. That's we're, we're just not, that's unacceptable. Like right-wing yeah, media like, is propaganda and we're not going to do propaganda. So. Right. But we're also, we're also not going to do, you know, liberal propaganda either. Ooh. So it's, so no. we, we, I don't want to name anybody, but we did get we did we, we did get an application um, from a think tank tied outlet that we declined. Yeah, I mean so, we're picky, right? We're picky. We are. We're, um, we're a little picky. It's okay. Like we we want You're pickier than I am. Maybe I don't know. But <laughs> point is, uh, okay, I'm a kind of a picky person. But point is, you know, we we are we are focused on the user experience. Uh, we're gonna have no ads. Right. Um, you know, and we have no corporate overlords and the best part is that every we'll be totally transparent and we're totally transparent. We're going to be a non 51 C three nonprofit. We have to file tax records every year. Um, but I think the best thing is that every outlet that we feature is also the same way. They're also independent. They have no corporate ownership. Um, they have no conflicts of interest. Uh, and I think that's what people need right now. We look, I mean, we're living in the age of like fake news and uh, these sort of media giants that are not really meeting the moment and not really kind of realizing what a kind of catastrophic time we're in. And um, we're also in a phase where people are staying home a lot and they're online a lot and they want, like, this is a good time for us to do this project. Uh, we've also, we've also talked about having, um, 
like a feature in the app so people can give money directly to the outlets that we feature and the journalists. Um, and we want to we want to allow people to follow individual journalists that they yes. that they like. Sort of like like so you'll have your personalized feed, but you'll also have the one that we curate for you, so you don't get locked in a in a bubble. But it's also not going to be. Um, as Alex said, it's not going to be like an algorithmically driven. Uh, what's the most salacious hot story of the day? Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be like, what do you need to know to have a balanced news day? Yeah, and that's a, that's an important point. Sorry, Eric, just one second. That's an important point. I think uh, you need. I've not seen an app, and I've looked at a lot of media apps and kind of doing my sort of background research. I have not seen an app that um, has profiles for the authors, for the podcast hosts, for. The, the individual producers uh, of this this content. And so we're both journalists, right? And Eric, you're a journalist. I mean, we understand it, it's a tough industry and we want to support the individual people who make it, right? I mean, that is, we are, we believe in, you know, kind of working together. Um, and, and so we want to support the individual producers of this content. So we're going to have profiles for everybody. And we're gonna have links to their, you know, their if they have a Patreon, if they have a Substack, if they have a PayPal, it doesn't matter. Uh, we're gonna try to push our our users to support them individually. I am tired of seeing journalists in my Twitter feed who are like, "I don't have money. I need money for like rent. Please help me out." Like, like pe- people who do good work, people who do necessary reporting. Like that shouldn't be the industry. And, and, and I, we don't have any illusion. Like this is not going to save the industry of journalism. It's a, there are much deeper problems. Government is probably going to have to start shelling out some money so that the industry can, can live that we can have journalism. And it's not just all bought up by a handful of billionaires or, or private equity equity firms that load up the, the outlets with debt and then sell them for parts like we need we need a bigger solution but in the meantime we can do this and maybe that that helps out maybe that helps uh individual journalists maybe that helps independent outlets maybe it just gets people more exposure you know that's that's our goal alex i want to ask you this question what would what would things have been like in 2016 and since, if we would have had opt out, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to like kind of you know overshoot or, or sort of like like Walker was saying, like claim that you know this our concept is going to drastically transform. No, but I mean, I mean to say, what space would it have filled? What, a, a space that say maybe isn't being filled currently or whatever. In in other words. It seems like you're creating a product that is in some ways, as you've said, kind of tailored to this moment or responding to the moment that we're living through. And I guess my question is, what would it have been like if we had it four years ago, if we had a tool, if not this one, something similar? I mean, I, I think it's the same um, now, frankly, as it would, would have been in 2016. Like, we just, we need uh, independent media. And um, if there's a way that we can uh, not only deliver independent media to more people who are sort of tethered to their phones and the native apps that are on those phones, which generally speaking is either Apple news or Google news. Um, if we can provide an alternative where people can, can uh, have kind of unvarnished, um, you know, uh, you know, sort of not influenced by corporate 
um, content, then I do think that uh, if we have a, enough of a user base that, that could change things, could change minds, could motivate people to uh, read a little further, dig a little deeper, question the corporate media narratives. Um, you know, but we're a long way away from that happening. I mean, it, just we're just seeing now that the um, Democratic National Committee is doing all these kind of votes on on its platform, and it's just it's just just miserable vote after miserable vote. I mean, against everything that should be happening, like legalizing marijuana, Medicare for all, um, fucking even 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 banning like corporate PACs and stuff. I mean, it just happened tonight. Uh, it's it's amazing. Like like. Um, it's a train wreck. Yeah, we're we're just stuck in this. We're just stuck in this never-ending cycle of these two parties, uh, and I will say one of which is is just way way more evil Worse. than the other. <laughs> however, however, they are both tied to corporate interests, and they are uh, because of the corporate media and the access journalists that populate corporate media. You know, they are kind of controlling our narratives, and most people don't have the time to sift through all the different sources and say, oh, well, is this one credible or not? So I'm saying like, maybe our app, whether it was four years ago or now, can can give even just a couple percent, two or 3% of the people who are j- just kind of consuming mainstream corporate media, another way of thinking about the world. And and or, that two or, or 3% maybe, can actually really, really change things. Or maybe the, you know, a, a journalist who who does good work doesn't, doesn't have to you know po- you know ask for money on twitter maybe something like that maybe i i don't know it's it's a it that is it's a very hard question to answer like how would things be different because like who 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 the hell knows but we 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 don't know and we we won't really know the answer to that question until until we start until the app goes live and until we start seeing seeing how it works and seeing the effect but ideally Maybe the maybe uh, an independent outlet doesn't close. Maybe there's an independent source of revenue. Maybe uh, you know maybe journalists don't have to have to crowdsource for their for their rent money. Part of the reason I asked the question in that way is not to try to force you into uncomfortable grandstanding about your own product, but rather to try to say, all right. In the last couple of years, if you flip on things like, you know, these apps like Pluto TV, right? There's at least five borderline fascist propaganda networks that you can flip to for news on there. There's like Newsmax, OANN, and some other shit and some other shit and some other one. You know what I mean? And I've never, I'd never heard of these things. And all of a sudden, here we are in Trump world, and now there's like seven different channels feeding these people this stuff, right? And and yeah. this all happened within a very short period of time. So it's like you're sitting here for 20 years being like, boy, Fox News is pretty ugly, right? And then it's like you turn your back and all of a sudden there's like outright like Nazi networks. You're like, Jesus Christ, you know? And so the re- that's the reason I'm asking is like, in just a couple of years, the media landscape on the right has just fucking become nuts, you know? And so like, what are we doing on the left? You know, that's where I feel like opt out and so, and products, you know, similar to that have a role to play in helping us to diversify our media to sort of, I guess you could say almost combat the various ways that the fascist right has diversified. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's combat, but it's also like, I don't know, like my impression of, and I cover the right as as a reporter a lot, you know, the far right. And it's like, 
they are very unified. They are in lockstep. I mean, they, they, they clearly have a common goal. And I, I do think that, you know, progressive and left media is pretty fractured. Uh, I mean, it's hard. It's a tough industry, especially now. Um, but we have to remember, like, if, look, I mean, if you believe in, in sort of principles of collectivism and, um, you know, communal life and, 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 and making everyone like, rising, like a, a lifting, you know, like a rising tide lifts all boats, right? Like, like we, we support the, the well-being of everyone, right? Not just ourselves or our little community. Like, I think, I think, you know, media on that side of the spectrum really needs to unify. And um, I haven't really seen any evidence of that. And so that's part of the reason why we thought about opt out is because um, as Walker said, like putting them under one roof, even if it's just a, it's just a vehicle for going to the websites, right. Of these, of these great outlets and, and, and streaming the great podcasts. But if people can work together a little more, uh, I think there's a chance at sort of countering some of that ridiculous far right insanity that, that is really like taking over the internet. It's not just the far right. It's, I mean, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's corporate media as well. It's, 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 there's, uh, there's unity of messaging among, you know, more established, more centrist outlets. For too. sure. It's, for sure. And, and, but as, as I was saying earlier, like, left media just doesn't have the independent media doesn't have the resources that like a CNN has or a Fox has. So, you know, I, I, hell, I have a subscription to the New York times and the Washington post because just for like stories that just to see what's, what's going on because they, they, they can just cover more. Um, that doesn't mean that they're, I think their word is final. In fact, when it comes to certain topics, I don't trust them at all. Like foreign stories. Mm-mm. No, <laughs> um, just based on past uh, reporting that I've done on on how they've covered things like uh, Russia in the night. Anyway, um, but we want to break that. That you know, oh, I just I go to them because I need to know what's going on in the world. And like, yeah, I'll go to the other. You know, maybe I'll go to the Intercept for like some some harder hitting stuff. But like, if I really want to know what's going on in the world, I'm going to have a New York Times subscription. Like, that's that only empowers um, sort of the status quo. The, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, they're not agents of, of change. Um, that doesn't mean that there's no good reporting that comes out of them. Absolutely, there is. Uh, but it does mean that the, the ideological bend to those papers is pretty status quo. And I think that Alex and I, approach news and approach what's going on in the world from the perspective of things really need to change. And it's not, you know, we have to, we have a major climate crisis that is bearing down on us. We just don't have time. We don't have any time left. Right. And, and, uh, and, and that's going to exacerbate the inequality that we are are already seeing historic inequality and a, and racial inequality in this country that is, uh, that is really just really bringing everybody, everybody down. Like as we, we all do better when everybody does better. And it's, it's uh, we're so, it's so divided and we can't focus on the larger issues that, that really affect us all. We have a healthcare crisis. We have, you know, you name it, we've got it. <laughs> and uh, we really need, we need media 
front and center that recognizes those problems, that talks about them in a way that is digestible and uh, also intersectional and, and brings people to, to a greater understanding and contextualizes. And, and we don't see that from corporate media. And we certainly don't see it from, from far right media. And, and I say that as somebody who has gone on, on Newsmax television to argue with uh, right wing people, <laughs> it's not, you know, you can't get, you cannot get a full contextualized uh, you know, understanding of, of an issue from sound bites, you can't get it from from certain outlets. So, so yeah. Okay, uh, Alex, can you just give us the details? Roll out. Where do people go to sign up? Where do they find information? What do people need to know? Absolutely. First of all, our launch page is optoutnews.org, and that is where you can find a little bit about what the app is. You can look at all our current partners. Uh, that partner list is, is added to almost every day. It's, it's really exciting. We're nearing 50 partners. Um, and you can sign up, uh, most importantly, put your email in there, uh, sign up for updates. We're, we're going to do a user survey uh, very soon. So um, people who are interested or even just curious can actually help, um, help us make the app. Uh, we're going to ask a lot of questions of, of, of people, what they're looking for. Um, so definitely go to optoutnews.org. Um, follow uh, um, on Twitter. It's at opt out app. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, just, you know, we're, we're very open. Like, like Walker said, we're, we're very transparent about this. We're going to be a nonprofit. We, we really want to work with the community to create uh, the best app that we can. Yeah, we at Counterpunch, we're really happy to get involved, to be to be participating in this program. We're really oh, yeah. excited and we're really excited to see the final product and to incorporate it into our daily news consumption because uh, Lord knows we need it. Uh, so thanks again, Alex Koch and Walker Bragman. Again, follow them on Twitter at Alex Koch, at Walker Bragman, the app uh, opt out. You can find it online. You get it uh, when it's available. Sign up on the website. Thanks, guys, for coming on the show. Listeners, as always, thank you again. We'll talk next week. Thanks so much for having us, Eric. Thanks a lot, Eric. <laughs>